Hello and welcome to the IOTA Unum podcasts from the Latin Mass Society. In the company of some great friends of tradition from around the world, we will be drilling into some of the fundamental issues affecting us today in the church and the world. A big welcome once more to Kevin Simmons, our intrepid researcher of private revelations, historical obscurities and conspiracy theories. If you missed it, last week he and I discussed the origin of the prayer to St Michael, which Pope Leo XIII ordered to be said after low masses, the third secret of Fatima and whether it has been published in full, and Kevin's recent research on whether Annibale Brugnini was a Freemason. If you've not listened to that, you'll find it on your podcast provider alongside this one. This week we are tackling the big one, whether communists infiltrated the church to subvert her from within. One source of speculation on this question is Bella Dodd, an American and a one-time Communist Party member who was expelled from the party and rediscovered her Catholic faith with the help of Archbishop Fulton Sheen. But before we come to her, I want to ask Kevin about another writer, French this time, Marie Carré, whose short and fun-to-read book AA 1025, The Memoirs of an Anti-Apostle, has also been the inspiration of a good deal of speculation. To set the scene, AA 1025 presents itself as the confession of a communist agent who successfully infiltrated the church and became a priest. But first, Kevin, what would you like to say about the author, Marie Carré? Well, um, I became Catholic in 1997, and it was around that time that I actually first came across AA 1025. Uh, I don't recall if I read the whole thing at that time, but I do know that I, I read it later on in its entirety, uh, in, uh, some years later. Don't remember exactly when now, but it's a fascinating book. You know, just as a little background, it's uh, it claims that there was this nurse who was treating a, a, a random guy that uh, he was dying and and all that, and then he you know, she was treating him, and he did eventually die, but uh, he left a briefcase behind, and she opened it up and uh, was trying to figure out you know, if there was information that could identify family or friends that she could you know, deliver to. And, it, and according to the, to the documentation, uh, she, it, was that, uh, the, it showed that this guy, in fact, was an infiltrator of the Catholic Church. And the, the documents told his story about how this, how this came to be. Um, it was originally published in French, uh, I don't remember the precise year. I want to say somewhere uh, 60s or, or 70s or so. I think it was 71. Uh, 71, okay. Um, and it was it got very popular. Uh, and it was written by a woman named Marie Carré. And she was a known writer in the French-speaking world, uh, especially the Catholic traditionalist world. Somehow, uh, I don't know exactly uh, precisely how, but there was a, uh, the book came over into the English speaking world. Uh, I don't know how it came to the attention precisely of, of um, the English publisher, but it was, it was Thomas Nelson of Tan Books. I believe he was the founder of Tan Books. Um, and I don't know, it, it was, uh, to be perfect, to be perfectly honest, I, I actually I know I actually have quite a bit uh, of information on this particular area. I just don't know 
precisely how that came to um, uh, Thomas Nelson's attention. But in 2015, I was researching uh, Marie Carré, looking things up and trying to find out more about this particular book. It was an outgrowth of my research into tracking rumors down and stories and finding out how true they are. Mm -hmm. um, a, uh, an acquaintance of mine happens to know uh, one of the people that worked with Thomas Nelson. And uh, Thomas and this person, my, this acquaintance of mine wrote to this person and said, hey, you know, I've got this guy here who's doing research, but I know you worked with Thomas Nelson. Could you tell, me, could you tell us anything about this? Kind of help us out a little bit. Uh, and this person actually did. Uh, I have, their, thankfully, I still have their email and I have it pulled up right here. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to give it word for word because Thomas Nelson, I believe, is still alive, as well as the person that, that sent this email. So I don't have uh, their permissions to, uh, to quote it verbatim. But what I will do is give a quick rundown of it, if that's all right. Uh, the, the book was published in French, if, if, uh, as I mentioned, and it got in, um, there was a French publisher in Canada and somehow, I don't know precisely how the email was in specific, um, this book came to the attention of Thomas Nelson, A1025, or as it was known in French, ES1025. Right. And uh, Thomas Nelson really liked it and said that uh, it wanted to have it available in English translation. So um, that's how it came to be, was that uh, he, he saw the book through this Canadian publisher and I, I don't know information about who translated it or anything. I'm not too sure, but um, that's how it came to be. So then what happens is this book gets published. And that was both the blessing, but also the problem. Because it was a great story. I mean, I sat there and I read it like, whoa, this is fascinating. you know. And even an illustrious person is Dr. Alice von Hildebrand really enjoyed the book and has, has spoken very highly of it in uh, a couple of times in the public forum. But what people didn't realize was, this is the problem coming in, it was removed from the French speaking world, that, that context. Mm -hmm. And Marie Carré was just put at, uh, put in the English speaking world with no context, no, um, no introduction to, to who she was, uh, what kind of stuff she was writing, uh, nothing. Nobody knew anything. Yeah. And so all they had was this story of this nurse who had found this, this document, but actually it was a fictionalized story. It was not a true story. Um, but what Marie Curie was trying to do was she was trying to talk about things that were going on in the Catholic Church at that time. So she, so she told it in story form. Almost, and I, this is going to sound like a horrible correlation, um, but so I, I, I beg people's indulgence and to take it with a grain of salt. It's like what um, Dan Brown did with the Da Vinci Code. He took a lot of discussions that were taking place in the scholarly realm um, 
on especially like biblical criticism and things of that sort and the Gnostic, the Gnostic writings and turned it into a story that we know as the Da Vinci Code. So there's some elements of truth in there told in a story form. Yeah. Yeah. Similar with Marie Curie. Yes, I mean, another example, uh, perhaps less, less, a less horrible <laughs> comparison would be something like the Screwtape Letters. Um, or, or actually any, any fictional account of, of you know, Catholic life, um, like, like the um, Bride, Brideshead Revisited. I and mean, that tells you a lot about Catholic attitudes, mm -hmm. the, what's attractive about the Catholic faith, what's problematic about the way that it's, it's manifested socially in that particular context and so on and so forth. And it, 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 a book doesn't have to be a, a, a historically, um, you know, based on historical events in order to tell you lots of interesting things. So I think it's important to, to, to say that the, the, the critics of the, the way the book has been received in the English speaking world are not necessarily suggesting that Marie Carré set out to deceive anyone. Oh, no. The book has been misunderstood. In fact, it says on the flyleaf, at least the edition that I, I've got, um, this book is a fictionalised presentation of certain facts mm. about the church. Well, I mean, that, that, that is somewhat vague, but obviously it's not presenting itself as a document found in a suitcase. But, I mean, that's, that's the way that it's presented within the story. Just mm. like at the beginning of the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says... Well, people will wonder where I've got this material from, but I'm not going to tell you that. Um, here it is, though. It's the correspondence between these two devils. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's within the story. That is already within the story. So you have to take a step back from being inside the story to make an assessment of the genre, which is, is a kind of historical novel, um, essentially, this book, um, which is not to say that her what she had to say substantively about the best explanation of the crisis in the church that is worthy of serious consideration. Yeah. And it's at this level, I think that she's made an important contribution to the debate. And at this level, we can also criticize it using other sources, not because, um, um, you know, we, we, we think that she's trying to pull a fast one on us, but just because, you know, here's her contribution, but there are other factors as well. And my, my feeling about the book, having read it, relatively recently is <clears throat> well she didn't have any kind of special at all amazing insight because if she had she would have blamed the communists for the clerical abuse crisis mm -hmm. um and of course the communists were up to their elbows in 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 using that kind of thing in the communist bloc because mm -hmm. the whole spying and stuff that they did i mean it was all about blackmail, about having things over people, either bribing them or blackmailing them and, you know, getting their compliance one way or another or threatening them with prison and so on. But, it, well, I mean, it's, it's a tragic, tragic situation. I mean, in Poland, that we've now seen this over the, over the last decade and more now, this stuff coming out from former Secret Service files mm. about how one revered pastor or bishop even after another has been revealed to have in to some extent have been collaborator and also this clerical abuse issue also being dragged on um, and it's 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 a 
is a horrible, horrible picture. Um, and of course, that kind of thing is 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 does happen under persecution um, because the normal functioning of the church, the normal self cleansing mechanisms of the church, can't function. Um, yeah, in yeah. a lot of it, it, it it's, it's, it's certainly within the church, but also it, it's very pervasive even within secular society. Like, for instance, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't, I won't describe it directly to like Marxist thought or anything. But I, that might be a bit of oh, oh, gross simple, uh, simplification, if not flat out wrong. But I will say that with the degradation of morality um, that we've been experiencing in the West, we're more prone to the things that I'm about to mention. Leverage is something that people want on somebody else. It's a good political tool, and this goes back centuries. Uh, Edward Snowden even talked about this about 78 years ago. Uh, I think there was a gentleman in Switzerland that the CIA was trying to compromise uh, to, get some, to, to get something from him. They, they got him drunk or something like, I don't remember the details, but they were they were comp they got this guy deliberately compromised in order to get some favor that they wanted from him because he was a person that could do something that they needed and right um, so it's so it's it's public I mean this stuff happens and yeah. it even happens within within the within the one holy as a, another preacher of mine says the one holy, <laughs> one holy. yes holy. yes it, it's so sad true it does happen yeah yeah so I mean to go back to to, to Carrie, um the the, the the thesis is 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 remains an interesting one um and um the next step in the in the discussion usually is to bella dot because people say well perhaps marie carré is not exactly presenting us with new evidence but she is talking about a phenomenon which does have a, hist a factual basis, which is Bella Dodd's testimony. Um, Bella Dodd being a, um, a former communist who became a Catholic um, and testified to Congress in the, in the 60s. To, uh, was it, I mean, is this part of the un-American activities kind of uh, evidence gathering? Um, was she testifying to, to, to McCarthy when she went to Congress, Bella Dodd? I'm sorry. Your specific question is like, like what is in her testimonies? Um, no, no. I'm just wondering whether Bella Dodd's testimony was made to Senator Joe McCarthy uh, in the context of the Un-American Activities oh, um, um, investigation that he he did. She did appear before the. Uh, the House Committee for Un-American Activities, uh, HUAC for short, um, and uh, she also appeared before the Senate, uh, so right. both houses of Congress. Um, so just for the benefit of, of, of listeners, um, in the 1960s, wasn't it, that, that there, was a, there was a big um, kind of um, concern about communist infiltration to American society in the context of the Cold War, which is kind of you know, going going strong at that at that moment, and there was a particular senator, um, Joe McCarthy, who who really got a bit between his teeth and started taking evidence from all kinds of people, and it it, it gave the whole anti-communist movement a bit of a bad name because he was basically running people out of town 
on the basis of some communist experience or, or association, um, real or alleged, uh, particularly in Hollywood. So uh, Hollywood was full of people with all kinds of political affiliations, um, especially in the past, let alone in the present. Um, and uh, I know people were losing their jobs and, and having to get them leave the country and, 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 and stuff. And, and, and this has given rise to the term McCarthyism, mm -hmm. um, which, is, which is used as a kind of derogatory term to, you know, of, of a kind of right-wing anti-communist witch hunt. Anyway, so that is maybe part of the historical context in which Bella Dodd started. But it, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't minimize Bella Dodd's own. No, and that was, um, the McCarthy was in the 1950s and I have right. her, yeah, yeah. I testimonies pulled up here in front of me and I, I i have no record of her appearing in the 60s that's not to say that she didn't but uh yeah. mccarthy was more so in the 50s for sure and right right um, and even she pointed out well the daughter herself, one of her testimonies if i remember correctly she herself said that the term witch hunt actually was a communist term they were the ones that coined it right uh, because they, that this this is kind of like how they're feeling like we feel like you're all like like and it's based upon uh, here in the United States, like like the Salem witch trials. Yeah, uh, made famous several years ago by the movie The Crucible. Um, yeah. And so, uh, it's there's so, so there's kind of like some American Im imagery used there in some ways in, in, in that term, but it was coined by communists, according to Belladot in her sworn testimonies. If I if I remember reading, I just saw it the other day. Um, but, uh, but Bella Dodd, uh, she talked to she talked to Congress, both houses of Congress and the respective committees in the 1950s. Uh, she also wrote a book called School of Darkness, which I believe was published in 1954. Uh, presently, there is a researcher in the state of Maine named Dr. Mary Nicholas, who is writing a book about Bella Dodd or has written. Um, she's looking for uh, uh, some publishers at this time. And uh, this book, I believe, will shed an awful lot of light on Belladon. I look forward to getting published. Um, but Belladon has become a, a, a kind of a figurehead, or like a, a, I don't want to say a flashpoint, but a reference point for many Catholics because Belladon is long built. She's a, she's a former communist lawyer who left the who was expelled from the party in 1949 uh, disgracefully. Um, and she eventually reverted back to the Catholicism of her youth under the auspices of Archbishop Fulton, well then Bishop Fulton J. Sheen. Um, and uh, she lived a life of, she lived a penitential life after that. You can see that it comes out in her, her contrition and her, her comes out in her, her testimonies. Um, and uh, just, I, should, I gotta say this while it's on my mind, I'm sorry, just real quick. When you read her first testimony, April 25th of 1950, she wasn't out of the communist mindset just yet. Right. But then when you read her testimonies from 1952 onward, it, it's, 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 she's like a totally different woman. It's amazing. So it's nice to kind of have that, that perspective. You have like a before and after, you know, it kind of sets the, a baseline for us to understand her and how her own character developed. It's really beautiful. Um, but Bella Dodd is alleged to have said that she herself had a hand in the infiltration of the Catholic Church by putting 1,200 or so men into the Catholic seminaries. That has been a very, very popular claim for many years now. 
And I'm actually in a position to give you an exclusive on this. Um, it, it, I have just, just the other day, yesterday, uh, I published uh, an essay about it's rethinking Belladon. And the exclusive that I want to give you is actually not in the essay. Where a lot of this discussion came from, I'm not entirely, I don't have all the nuts and bolts of it just yet, but I can tell you that a lot comes down to uh, uh, somebody who was writing in the mid 1990s, who died, who's writing the 1990s about Belladon and an experience that this person had attending one of her lectures in the 1950s. This was this quote, uh, this, this, the text of the, the characterization of this, of this lecture was given in the, the, the publication called Christian Order. It was published in the November 2000 edition of that particular uh, journal. And uh, it's called The Greatest Conspiracy, written by uh, Rod Peed, I think. Is it, I'm sorry, Rod or Ron? I can't remember now. Rod, I think, right? R-O-D? Okay. Um, and uh, so uh, he bases himself upon the, the this, this particular P that is bases himself upon this testimony of this unnamed monk, because the monk is not mentioned in the article. Um, but that's kind of where a lot of this stuff begins, is roughly around that time. But part of the exclusive that I want to give you is the, the lecture that Belladot is said to have given. It was, it, it was alleged to have been given in, in Fordham, at Fordham in the, like 52, 53. There's no record. There's no record of that of that talk. I myself called the archives to Fordham University and said, "Hey, you know, do you guys have any information on this?" There's not even an advertisement, a flyer, a pamphlet, nothing, nothing whatsoever. Now, that's not to say that it didn't happen. I mean, things get lost. Maybe nothing ever got to the archives. It's, there's a bunch of unknowns right now. So I'm not saying that this is all false. I'm simply saying that there's no corroborating evidence. Right. So it's just kind of hanging out there. Um, and as, I'm, as, as, as things are looking, uh, everything's depending upon the witness of this unnamed monk who I, I happen to think uh, was, was a guy named Brother Joseph Matale who lived in New Jersey. And if, the, if my assessment is correct, uh, there's some sketch, there's some very sketchy things going on. There's something's not right there. And uh, it kind of falls apart a little bit, the, this, this argument. But this is roughly about where it begins, as far as the paper trail, as I understand it, is concerned, is the, is the 1990s. And this claim gets pushed forward in the public forum, because now the internet's up and coming now. Uh, Christian Order was the first publication to really put this out there. Um, and then in 2001, Dr. Alice von Hildebrand gave an interview to the Latin Mass magazine, and she made a comment about Belladon and made two specific claims that Belladon herself had publicly stated about the uh, having put so many men into the seminaries, but also uh, that her and her husband Dietrich knew Belladon, and Belladon told her and her husband that she was working with she had worked with four cardinals at the Vatican. 
Right. So, so between these two claims, all these men going to the seminaries and then the four cardinals, between various publications, this, this gets now pushed forward in time until it becomes essentially a legend. Um, in 2002, yeah, yeah. when the sex abuse crisis, uh, clerical sex abuse crisis arose here in the United States, people turned to this story to say, okay, well, maybe this is how these such evil people got into the clerical ranks in the first place. Maybe they're one of the infiltrators, you know? Yeah. And then after the McCarrick revelations in 2018 and the subsequent follow, people again turned to the Belladon story, but respectfully, people didn't always have their facts straight. So that's why I said, all right, I'm going to put, I'm going to try to understand what happened here with Belladon. Um, I don't think that she put, I don't think all those men never got ordained. I don't think that's possible. Some of them might've gotten through, but not all of them. Um, she herself in her testimonies before Congress says that in fact, the, the real system of communism is not to have all these people flood and inundate. She said, no, it's the real influence. She said is a strategically placed communist. And she speaks about this in terms of the education system. So she said, if you have a communist teacher who is in turn teaching 300 of the teachers who then go out into various places and teach, that's a strategic position, she says. Yeah. Uh, and that's the kind of position that they would go to. So if you transport this over into the, into the church, all you need are a few strategically placed communists to gradually erode faith and good morals. That's all you need. Yeah. And they could, I mean, certainly then they could bring in people, you know, who didn't have the faith, uh, less than worthy men, as I like to put it, into the seminaries that maybe, and then promote them, et cetera, et cetera. Um, all of that's very possible, but nothing's proven. Um, but the underlying idea is even not so much about, you know, Belladad, it was just a cog in the wheel of communism. The real, I, the real, meat and potatoes here is to look at the underlying philosophy and its pervasiveness. Yeah. Uh, and, and the, the big word, uh, the deleterious effects <laughs> uh, upon faith that this has, that's the real meat and potatoes here. Like, well, that's the kind of stuff we should be gunning for. I mean, Belladad is kind of like a signpost for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, she kind of points us the right way, but she, again, she's just you know, right way in the sense of to understand what happened. But we shouldn't make her the end. There's a no. much larger picture here. No, I mean, there's even a, a, a possibility here, um, a, a real possibility of people's focus on Belladod and, in general, the idea of infiltration by an alien organization distracting mm -hmm. attention from the ideological, theological issues. Mm -hmm. uh, and if, if you want to know where. You know where the idea that um, you know the undermining, for example, of of the supernatural in Catholic thought, which we see in the liturgy, which you see in the way the churches are arranged, which you see very much in 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 what devotions are encouraged and what devotions are not encouraged in the post-conciliar period. Well, where does that come from? You don't need to start worrying about reds under the beds. You can see exactly where it comes from from the modernist crisis of the early twentieth century. And yes. before the communists had taken power in Russia, these ideas were incubating within the bosom of the church. And yes. it's, it's not surprising to see them popping up, you know, successive generations after that, 
not surprising at all. Um, and and the, 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 the Protestant denominations were, of course, ahead of us in this. And um, it, it's all perfectly explicable in its own terms, in terms of the development of ideas, um, generations of theologians rising through the ranks, becoming seminary teachers, becoming professors in Rome, Mm -hmm. um, having influence and all that kind of normal stuff that you have with the history of ideas. Um, I, I mean, admittedly, I mean, I, I'm, I, I'm biased as, a, as an academic. I like to look at things through the lens of the conflict between ideas, the, the, the debate and, and all that sort of thing, rather than through um, personalities, let alone through kind of institutional kind of shenanigans. And I, I, I know that personalities and institutional shenanigans do play a part in, in, in history, but nevertheless, <laughs> this is this is where these ideas come from. But um, to go back to to, to Belladov, that there is something else to be said, isn't there? Belladov made a distinction between the the, the success or the strategy of the communists in um, in the way that they handled the Protestant denominations and the way they're able to um, get into the Catholic Church. Um, there was a distinction, yes, uh, and this distinction was highlighted recently with the publication of a, a lecture that Belladon gave in 1961 in Detroit. And am I right in thinking this is, this is the only audio we have of her? Uh, published, yes. Hmm. I mean, so, there are copies, like I have a copy of my hard drive, uh, Mary Nicholas has a copy on hers, you know, and then of course the original organization that had it has a copy of it. But as far as published is concerned, yes, there's only one, as far as I know. So it's, it, this is now on YouTube. Um, so yes. I, I don't my YouTube channel. Yeah, on, 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 yeah, so Kevin Sen's YouTube channel has this, this recording of Bella Dom, which is very interesting to hear, you know, the, the real woman. I mean, many of her talks are, are available in transcript. Um, but yeah, this is this is so this is this is quite no actually no I don't mean to be contradictory and I say this with well, respect of course but no actually um, there are hardly any transcripts oh really no no that we have her published testimonies if if, if that's what you're referring to yes and that that's true but right. as far as her going to a city and giving a talk no um, there's only one two three verified talks of Bella Dodd available on YouTube and none of them have transcripts at this time. YouTube has the, 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 the caption feature that you can check, but of course right. it's not official. It's, it's I, I see. No, what I meant was that, that the, the um, um, her testimony to Congress. Oh yes, yes, those are published there. They've been digitized. You can find those on archive.org. Yeah, yeah. Or if you go to the end of my Bella Dodd essay that I published, I have the links there. It takes you right to the documents. Sure, sure. Anyway, go on. What did she say in this, this, this talk? She mentions how um, somebody, it was divided into two parts. The, the lecture itself, which, I mean, she's, she's a, she was a brilliant woman. You get, people have to listen to her. She was a brilliant, brilliant woman. Um, and she's, she's discussing how the, how the processes work and what the goals were. It is phenomenal, mind-blowing. But then in the, the Q&A part, um, about roughly eight to 10 minutes into it, somebody asks her. Next question is, uh, have you ever met communists among the Catholic clergy? And if so, were these people ever exposed? 
Now that is a loaded question, not necessarily in the sense of the logical fallacy sense of that expression. Mm. But it's just, there's a lot going on in that one question. Yeah. Now, I mentioned earlier, Belladon was a lawyer and a very good one. And she was aware of what she could say publicly versus privately. Yeah. We have proof of that as well. Um, she said in response, I never met a, a communist uh, who was a member of the Catholic clergy. Now, I say that not because I'm a Catholic, because I was familiar with a number of the young ministers in the Protestant, uh, among the Protestant clergy. God bless some of them. They wanted so much to do good. The Communist Party used to raise money to send them to seminaries, which would last maybe for one year or two years. And uh, then they come back and preach the social doctrine. Now, I never have met anyone in the, uh, among the Catholic clergy. That doesn't mean that they may not be. My feeling is that uh, the long years of preparation required for the Catholic clergy may deter uh, the Communist Party liners from putting people in. That is a bombshell statement. When I yeah. read that, I was like, yeah. when I listened to it, I was like, wait, back that up. What did she just say? Yeah. Because it seems to fly in the face of everything that's been claimed about her. Yeah. Um, it's 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 very interesting. I mean, for, for, for several reasons. I mean, the obvious one is that she is not claiming that she planted people into seminary. But also what she says about the Protestant groups um, is, is interesting. One is that she's thinking obviously in terms of of, of some kind of some Protestant ecclesial communities which have very very rapid seminary training i mean obviously these exist but we're not it's not the episcopalians i mean they would be in seminary for a lot longer than one or two years they have a seminary system which is more akin to to the catholic one i know it varies um and it's 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 got shorter and shorter in recent years but nevertheless it's 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 this this sounds more like um uh, sort of low church free church you know, kind of situation. I, I don't know. If I was writing this, if I was writing this a little bit differently, if the purpose of focus of my essay was a little bit differently, I actually would have added to this some of her remarks to Congress about uh, how this system worked. So just in the quote that I've read, you, you see the structure. She's, yeah. uh, she, she, she says that she never met a communist who was a member of the Catholic clergy. Well, again, that seems to contradict what Alice von Hildebrand said about the four cardinals. Yeah. Uh, I show my essay that there's no real contradiction there by, by necessity, at least. But um, and I show and I, sh and I explain why. But for our purposes right now, she says familiar with the you know, she she goes right for the Protestant communities, which is known. Manning Johnson testified that they that they were infiltrating the Protestant groups. Right. So that that that's congressional testimony. Um, actually, can tell you right where it is. Um, the but then she said how. She, starts, she, she makes a, a remark upon the people, these, these young Protestant, these young Protestant men that wanted, that wanted so much to do good. God bless them, she said. Yeah. But then the twist happens. The Communist Party used to raise money to send them to seminaries, which lasts for a year or two. Okay, well, why is that significant? Why did the Communist Party be doing that? Yeah. Because the answer is what she says next. And then they come back and yeah. preach the social doctrine. Yeah. When you read her congressional testimony, she touches upon this very topic, and she says how Marxism-Leninism is all about materialism. 
Yeah. And you, the, that the vertical relationship with God does not exist. Remember, she, she freshly says, she says, we communists know that there is no God. So you poor blokes, you know, we got a disavowal of this. Well, so the focus then became upon this world. Yeah. And yeah. so how then you did this was you co-opted the social doctrine of the church. That was the point of entry in some sense. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, even today, I've seen, I used, I, I've, I've taught several courses on the church's social, uh, social doctrine. I took a course on it in college and I absolutely loved it. Um, and I've seen this play out. People said, I, I remember reading one comment on the internet uh, in my, in my research and reading and somebody said how, yeah, I'm not really much for Catholic dogma, but you know, I, I think, I think she's got something with this, with the social doctrine. Yeah. Or person didn't realize it's like, you've been, you've been blindly led into Marxism, yeah. not communism, but Marxism, technical distinction there. Um, you blindly been led into it because you can't have the church's social doctrine without the dogma behind it. It doesn't work. It's kind of like the error of the enlightenment. Yeah. They wanted the morality without the dogma. It doesn't work that way. What yeah. do you think the morality is based on? But that's so, so these so, testimonies yeah. are extremely important because they point these areas out for yeah. us. So that the, the church's social doctrine has to be seen in the context of the transformation of human nature by Christ, the transformation of society by grace. There you go. Exactly. Otherwise, it, it's either, either some sort of just a, 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 a vaguely lefty sounding kind of stuff about about how we should be nice to the poor or or it's nothing at all yeah yeah well the yeah, other thing if, you, if yeah. you don't have the spirituality yeah. you've gutted it we see and yeah. now we see this we're seeing full-blown marxism here in the west and particularly and sadly right now even even in, even in my country uh in the united states because what you're seeing is people have been pitted against each other it's the class warfare but Leo XIII was very, very good to point out in Rerum Navarro that charity has to be at the center of all of this in our actions. Yeah. You know, when, when Marxism, when communism was, on, was, was, was collapsing in the late 80s, early 90s, John Paul II wrote Centesimus Anus, a social doctrine encyclical, and he points out, I don't remember the paragraph, unfortunately, but I can look it up and find it. He points out and he says, if we are not careful people, if we do not restore or otherwise fix what the problem was that led to this in the first place, this stuff is going to come back. Right. Yeah. And then Pope Benedict comes along and he published, I, I don't remember, I don't remember which one of his three encyclicals it was, but he basically takes up John Paul's statement and says, uh, we didn't pay attention to him folks and we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. 2021, look what's going on. You know, yes, yes, we've yeah. reap, we, we, we reaped the whirlwind and we're going to reap what we sowed. You know? Yeah. Something else which, which, which occurs to me about Belladog's remark, this particular remark, is that the individuals that they, they help pay for, it doesn't sound like they were necessarily card carrying communists themselves. If they, if they were wanting to do good and wanted to do good through their Christian ministry, it would, I mean, it suggests to me that they, well, for one thing, they believed in God, even if God didn't play quite the role in their personal theology that he should have done. They weren't, you know, they weren't atheists. They weren't cynical about it. 
Um, so that what what had happened, but I suppose, and I'm I'm speculating here, is that they they they'd found a way to give them financial support in a way which which they didn't arouse the seminarians' suspicions. Um, but having identified them as useful because of their you know because of their theological inclinations, um, but not actually recruited them into the party. They weren't actually agents. No, not necessarily. Uh, but there are two thoughts to that. The first one being right. Belladot herself points out in her congressional testimony that much too much has been made of what it means to be card carrier. Yeah, yeah. It, she kind of dismissed it as a formality. She said that there were she, there was a group of people that she called non-party Bolsheviks. They attended meetings and were given assignments. She says, um, but it's and there might have been greater or lesser degrees of this. And then you have your in your people that were just that weren't really involved, but they might have known some people, et cetera, et cetera. So, which leads me to the second point is, uh, with communism doing this, you mentioned how people, they, they, these young Protestant guys might not, gentlemen might not have, didn't catch on. That is actually a very, very good observation that you made because it ties into what was going on in the 1940s. Communism, See, the, the battle was against fascism and Nazism. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. communism was then beginning to be viewed as being acceptable because it's like, well, they fought with us, you know, and the communists took full advantage of that. And they basically hoodwinked the West. If A really good book as uh, Turmoil and Truth by Philip Trower. This book really kind of goes into some really good detail explaining how some of these things worked. Um, and in the church, but you know, Pius the Twelfth. When you read Venerable Pius the Twelfth, may he be a saint, declared a saint someday. He said, in I don't know how many documents, he said, "Folks, you've got to be careful of this. This is not what it appears to be. Like we have to address this, you know, yeah. because th this is so." It, that, in a sense, was kind of the real infiltration. It was more about the permeation of communism. And Archbishop Fulton Sheen, in one of his programs, talked about this. He said, communism is like, he's like you have to think about it in terms of manure. It's going to spread, <laughs> but it's a fertilizer. And yeah. from it, will, he said, the first will be Russia, he says. The first will be Russia to realize her mistakes. And from her, he says, a Pentecostal fire. And it's on YouTube. You watch the video. He talks about it. We'll, we'll come up from her, and she will be you know, the one to lead the nations back to God. Uh, such was Archbishop Fulton Sheen's opinion. Right. Um, so nobody saw, hardly anybody saw this coming in your average everyday run-of-the-mill Protestant clergyman, because again, there was sympathy for yeah. communism. They fought with us against Nazism and fascism. They might not be so bad after all. Yeah. No, no, big flags, big flags. Yeah, yeah. Well, indeed, I mean, I, I listened to, to, I started listening to that talk of Bella Dodds in which she makes this, this remark later on, and she talks about her own induction into into communism and it's 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 it was it was before the second world war um and she'd gone to germany and she was f worried and frightened about fascism and here were the people who were the anti-fascists um and it's it's well you know the same the same course happened to many people in the context of the spanish civil war um and and um you know in 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 britain and one of of course it, it, it it's they ended up align themselves to 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 the Nazis <laughs> yeah. uh, as well as fighting against you, you them. So. The, 
And did yeah. you catch the comment? I don't remember the lady's name, but Bella, one of Bella Dodd's friends said, and I'm uh, not an exact quote, but it's pretty accurate, something like, I would side with the devil himself if it was against fascism. Yeah. Well, that was, that was yeah. kind of a linchpin in her life. And she, she repeats that not only in her book, but also in her congressional testimony. It's kind of like a rallying cry. Like she really was, was mobilized by that. And I'm saying yeah. to myself, well, right there, this is where, again, faith and good morals comes in. Faith, we are, the devil is a murderer and a liar from the beginning, Jesus says. Yeah. So divine and Catholic faith tells us you never side with the devil. <laughs> yes. You just don't do that. Yeah. You're crazy. You know, he's a murderer, Jesus says. The eternal son of God himself said this guy is a murderer, you know, a liar, a deceiver, you know, the ancient serpent. You know. So it, it, right down in there, it's like, well, wait a minute, hold up. Wait, 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 you're going too far here. But again, if you don't have the mind of faith or the yeah. mind of Christ, as St. Paul says in his letters, what are you going to do? Well, of course, Winston Churchill said something very similar uh, on a famous occasion in the House of Commons. He said, well, no, not in the House of Commons, in his, I don't know, some book he wrote. He said uh, about talking in the House of Commons, he said that if Hitler had invaded hell, I would at least have made a favorable reference to the devil in the House of Commons. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Churchill, of course, I mean, he had a, a, a very... Um, in long history as an anti-communist. I mean, he'd been involved in the efforts to 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 aid the whites in in you know in the Civil War and things like that. So I mean Churchill wasn't a kind of idiot, you know, uh, dazzled by by Stalin. I mean he was just he'd become completely monomaniacal about defeating Hitler, which is perhaps understandable in the context of 1942. Um, but, you know, we, we have to we have to take a, a, a wider perspective. And on this, I, I really recommend to listeners to read Dietrich von Hildebrand's book, My Battle Against Hitler. Mm. He talks about the, the, the problem of both sides playing this in the in the late 30s in Germany. The, the Nazis went around saying, you've got to support us because we are the opponents of Bolshevism. And Bolshevism is terrible. And people say, yeah, Bolshevism is terrible. And the, 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 the not communists were saying, you've got to support us because we're the opponents of fascism. And fascism is terrible. So I mean, they were trying to divide the world into two warring camps. Um, and of course, to some extent, they, they succeeded. But it's it's... You know, it's ridiculous. You've you've got to take a step back and and think about you know the, the real issues. Well, no, Kevin, I, I think the, the time has probably come to 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 call a, an end to, to to this podcast before uh, before it goes on too long. So um, I'd like to thank you very very much, um, but also to promise our listeners that we would like to come back to to one aspect of this of these issues which we haven't explored which is exactly what has happened in the in the catholic church to the extent to which it has been corrupted um, and the nature of that corruption in the institutional church and um, and what what kevin specifically has to say about that because he also has done lots of research um, and has personal experience on that issue so we don't want to leave this too much dangling 
it, it may not be, you know, the, the, the simple thesis that, oh, well, it's a communist, it's the Freemasons, it's the, you know, whatever. Um, that may be too simple, but there is something to explain. And the reason that people have latched on to these conspiracy theories is that there is indeed something that needs explanation. Yes. Um, and we can all agree about that. I and mean, we haven't got our heads in the sand. Um, and um, we would like to do some explaining um, uh, with, 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 with Kevin's help on, on a future occasion. So thank you very much, Kevin. I'm really, really grateful for your time. Um, Kevin's getting up early to talk to me early in the morning um, across the Atlantic. <laughs> And I'm, I'm really, really grateful. Um, but for now, um, that's it from us. This podcast was brought to you by the Latin Mass Society. We hope you enjoyed it and would appreciate your rating the podcast on the platform you are using. You'll find some more information and links relating to the talk in the show notes, which you can see on a page dedicated to the IOTA Una podcast series on our website. The Latin Mass Society promotes the celebration of the ancient Latin liturgy of the Catholic Church in England and Wales, organising masses and training events and defending and explaining the liturgical tradition in the context of the Catholic liturgy and thought. If you would like to find out more, do visit our website and consider joining us or giving us a donation. You'll find a big red donate button in the top right hand corner. Thank you.